You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open with Teresa and America. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about how trauma affects my values, and I'm actually kind of excited about this one. Why? Well, I was like, how do I distinguish this between my beliefs and your values and my values? And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. At least for me, where my brain went was the way my trauma affects my values. Is it because of the way I might be sensitive to something? It affects the way that I care about something, the way I what I value or care about in a relationship, how I spend my time, work, you know, kind of these big things. And I don't, I don't think I realized it as I was living through it. But now as an adult, I see how much it affects my values and how important it was for me. It was the one area where when you talk about trauma in, in mental health and psychology, people are like, oh, you know, trauma and mental illness changes your, the way you see yourself, the way you see others and the way you see the world. Mm-hmm. Like my values became the way I saw the world that affects the way that I live. So, and I thought that was um, really interesting. Like I don't, I didn't actively go through that process. But I remember when you're a little kid. I'm not a little kid. I call myself a little kid. But when I was in my 20s and dating, first of all, I took a hiatus <laughs> from dating because my values were screwed up. Yeah, not a little kid, but keep first, going. First, I had a screwed up values that needed to be reevaluated, <laughs> and then had to spend some time really going like, why do I keep making really bad decisions? What do I need to orient my life to? What do I care about? Does that resonate? Or did you go a different direction? I kind of didn't have a direction. <laughs> <laughs> because I was trying to think back um, to our conversation about beliefs. And I was asking myself the same question. Like, where is the distinction? Yeah. But I like how you've what you've proposed because it helps connect the two for me. Yeah. Well, so it's like, so an example I think that's really easy and a lot of people understand is like a belief that has had to shift for me is that all men are abusers. Okay. My trauma made me feel that way for a long time and have this belief. And it was really important in my life to find men who were healthy so that my belief could shift to, you know, a more nuanced belief. But the value that I had was, you know, when you grow up in violence, I cannot abide by violence as an adult. I just will not. When I get angry with my kids or when I see other people be angry, I could tell it rises something in me. Mm -hmm. So like one of the things that I valued in a partner was patience. Okay. Which and it was weird because it's still in transition, right? It's hard to find the words because you're like, well, I just value someone who doesn't isn't quick to anger. But what's the – this is where words lose the oomph of what it is that you know you feel inside. Like what is the opposite of not quick to anger? Patience. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think – Honesty. Yeah. I, in a relationship, I have to spend a lot of time thinking about honesty. and Like I, thinking about it or – 
thinking about it, talking to my partner about it. It's a core value. We're very transparent. One of my biggest fears is that I'm going to find out that my partner lives a double life. Mm, Okay. Like is one person that I thought and like is somebody actually totally different. And that's worse than maybe anything else, you know, but it took me a while to get there. So my value was honesty. I don't know, like maybe some people don't care about that as much, but I'm like, I have to have honesty in a relationship. I I totally, the first one that I went to is honesty. And I think my question becomes, where does that come from? Like, why do I hone in on that immediately? And it has to come from a place where people were dishonest in some way. And I was like, yeah, never having that. Okay, so that's interesting. So when, if people are actively dishonest, I think that the way they're dishonest also might give you ideas about the way that you value yes. how honesty looks too. Totally, because it's connected to my the way in which I interact with people because I want I, I don't like when people beat around the bush. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with the same kind of thinking, like there is um maybe an inability to really say what you need to say. And then you get into these troubled areas of like, well, I actually didn't mean that. And it's like, no, just say what you want to say. So for me, mm. honesty becomes a critical point in in the beginning of a relationship. So for you, the honesty looks like being true to your words. Yes. See, for mine, the honesty is about being true to who you are or secret keeping. Yeah. I don't know, like not being someone in one space and another person. Like you're being hypocritical in some way. You're hiding your true self. Yeah. And it's not even hypocrisy because that's a different level of honesty. Yeah. It's you being genuine. Ah, see, I don't even know if it's that. Really? Yeah. It's like, um, it's tied to safety, which I know is another value that I've talked a lot about Mm, in this. It's the masks. It's the safety. If like, because the person I love can code switch. We all have to. But when you're with me, I know you. I know you, the real you. And you're not being weird. You're not being sketchy. You're not. When something happens, you tell me and you're fully honest about that. You didn't keep secrets. Like, I think that the second in a relationship that that starts to happen, I freak out. Like, I'm like, and then I start to question trust and reality. And I'm like, that's where my values run right up on my trauma. And I just fall apart. For me, I I call that the masks, you know, like um, early childhood, we were taught like, don't ever go with strangers, right? Like, that's the thing that they tell you. Um, And one of the things you learn, right? And now it's kind of like, yeah. They people will come to you and they look very nice and smiling and trustworthy and they have that and that's the mask. And then the other side of it is that mask goes away and it's freakingly horrifying. Yeah. That's what I'm getting from what you're sharing. Okay, this is interesting, right? Because as part of my trauma and spending so much time wondering about my ability to have radar for that, Mm -hmm. it's weird because you know, you can say like, oh, well, I have good radar. I can smell a bad person or like dishonesty. And I actually don't trust myself in this space at all. I don't in my life. I mean, whether it's because I've been in a series of bad relationships and then did find healthy relationships, even down to hiring. (laughs) 
Right. Because you know, some people are at, like at your core, you're questioning your gut. And that questioning just looks chaotic and I can't mm -hmm. trust it. Some people can look at somebody and read something right away. And when I look at something, I just don't. And that's interesting too, because I also don't, I don't, oh God, this is weird. I don't like when people, I don't like judging people. Mm -hmm. Like I really value compassion. I don't know if that value of compassion comes from my trauma maybe because of all the ways I've screwed up and like seeking forgiveness. I don't know why, why, why do I care about that? Why do I care about non-judgmentalism? But how does that run up against whether or not I feel like I have good skills at reading people and trusting that I can read people right away? I know I don't. I would say, and this, and this is a, I don't, I don't know if it's a skill. I wouldn't call it a skill, but it's second nature to me now that when I meet somebody off the bat, I know, I don't know how I know, but, I, but I've come to understand that that gut and feeling that I have about the person is spot on from the moment that I meet them. And it's because of previous experiences where I didn't trust my gut and I was like, damn it, I should have <laughs> listened. So I hear that, but and I can... Um... I can tell right off the bat if I don't like someone or if I'm not comfortable with them mm -hmm. or if I feel like they're suspicious, mm -hmm. but I've also been wrong. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, maybe this is a tangent, you know, but, no. but these I, are the ways I think that your values and your fears, the the gut, the, this is the gut and the brain running up against each other, right? This is what we're talking about. Yeah. Your gut and your heart and your brain are all colliding into why you make statements about who you care about, what you care about, why you care about something? I think part of it too, though, what you're talking about is is our experience, right? Like our experience guides how we are going to navigate these spaces. So if we have really crappy experiences that again and again, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, dumbass. Let's move on. Let me try again. And you do it again and you're like, damn, I shouldn't have done that, dumbass. So each time you're learning, right, you're you're refining your ability to, to do something. And you get to a point of understanding, you know, for all this trial and error, now I know I wasn't really interested in all this. What I really wanted was somebody that was really honest. And now moving forward, I know that that marker that I've set, honesty, is how I'm going to then engage in future relationships. Yeah. That gut feeling that you have around people. I think the other way that trauma may come up for me and my values is tied just to my experience of being here in the United States and navigating two cultures. That's it's just, just a core identity experience that exists. Yeah. And within that, how it's impacted my interaction with others. So part of that is being a little cautious I'm, I'm, I'm cautious around new environments in a way that I don't know everybody is. It's like a second layer of depth. So do you value, as a result of that, do you value community in that way? Because then you know there's a space that you feel is sacred and safe. Yes. And that community for you looks like a family ritual, a dinner that you guys go to regularly or eat a family that those pieces. Yes. Like in the more, more immediate circle. Yes. Yeah. Continuous communication. 
opportunities for us to gather. But if you even think about that more broadly, finding spaces in my own neighborhood where there are people yeah. that look like me. This is you're talking and I can tell it's stirring up feelings inside because this is a value that I did not realize that I needed, mm. but did not have the opportunity to build because I was focused on taking care of other things like Maslow's hierarchy of need, you know, like I was worried about safety. Mm-hmm. But recently, just talking to people about healing and this question of who are you and where do you come from as a value belief system of the ultimate value, which is that you matter and you belong somewhere. And maybe that's the value that you have in community. So like it's taking me a second to get there. But in the end, what you're seeking because of identity and to me, it's it really ties into belonging. You go to this space and you know you belong. These mm. these are your people. Mm-hmm. This is what's rising in me. A lot of big feelings, like realizing I never, I haven't had the time and space to to allow myself to do that, which is why therapeutically I still struggle with having thoughts like nobody cares about me, which is so stupid, right? I know that's a distorted a thinking trap. Like to value that I matter, that I have a I have a value or that I belong mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, like the question I think that comes to mind for me is the idea if if I'm not here tomorrow, will anybody miss, miss me? Mm, right? You think about that? I sometimes explore that. And I don't know why my brain goes there. I I don't know the word for it, okay, around the value of it. But I know something that I do many times with my little ones with, you know, my fiance, I, I, out of nowhere, I'll be like, you know, I love you, right? Mm. And they're like, yeah, we know. And I'm like, no, but you know that I love you. I need you to know that. And then mm. now they're so used to it. They're like, yes, we know. I'm like, okay. But there's something tied to that for them to feel what you're saying you may not have gotten. Like, you will always matter, you know? Yeah. Like, even if you're not with me right now, you are on my mind. Yeah. So it is worth. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we 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 talk to a lot of people who've experienced trauma. And I, I absolutely believe that if you're a human being, you've experienced trauma. <laughs> like, living in this world is traumatic. And you get messages all the time about who you are and how you're important or not important. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've shared before that uh, because of my trauma and the type of trauma I experience, it's so easy to focus on safety mm-hmm. and that being a part of it. But I think that in our lives, we also when we are when we experience moments of neglect, mm-hmm. and it can be a big thing where somebody like people regularly forget you and don't even pick you up from school. Like that's these are repeated things that or neglect but sometimes it's subtle it's just like how do we show people that they they matter whether it's saying do you know i love you or when somebody is asking a question and you tell them but like kids mostly because this is a practice we have with kids where we're like go away right now mm. go take care of yourself mm-hmm. or i'm having a conversation and 
you're you need to wait until I finish this, but then we make them wait like forever until they just give up talking to you. That it's so subtle in this world, the way that we're basically taught that we don't have a voice, that we don't matter. And that's really helpful for creating a society of people to just step in line, but ultimately in the end of it, feel a deep sense of what is it? Lostness? What is this? Disconnectedness? What is the thing when you don't feel like you matter, you know? Yeah. Worthlessness. Dis- worthlessness. Worthlessness. That that brings up this idea of um it's tied to worth and value too, because you're you're right in, in many in many ways from the from the early onset of our childhood, right? Like we're taught like children are there to listen and not to interrupt. This is a very true value of mine. My parents didn't bring us up that way. Like they have always wanted us to be part of the conversation and opened up the space for us to do that. So we did that with with our family. And I know there are there are times when that butts up against somebody else's values that are not the same and they're like those children shouldn't be part of this conversation. It's like yes they should. And <laughs> So that that in itself shows very distinct differences in in how you see this little person be part of your world and how they're interacting with it and what you're what you're what tools you're providing them with. Yeah. The the other value I think that is um very much tied to my personhood is hard work. Like hard work is ingrained in me. So my brain went just like you from worth to ability. Mm. Like, so to value hard work, the consequence of not having someone, like, I mean, it's too broad to call it neglect, but I would call it neglect. Like, you know, being a latchkey kid or whatever, growing up, basically taking care of yourself. The 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 strength of that is that I am independent. Like, I... Yeah. I know I could take care of myself. I have fierce ability and confidence in that. But I've seen for other people who grow up in a space where they have their legs cut off, where they have access to a lot of money or other things. And it's horrible because I think when you hear dialogue, people are like, oh, you coddle your baby or whatever. But it's not that. I think it's it's not just, I mean, those are the words that are used for what happens when we sh- we close off a person's capacity to fail. Mm-hmm. So so people who who fear failure, you know, is what they are lacking in a value system is the, they're lacking the the their confidence and their ability. Right. Yeah. Where where we're like And you're okay, calling I'll it hard fail. work. Yeah. I'll yeah, fail. but you're like I'll putting an effort into yeah. it. And yeah. you know that putting effort into it will result in something meaningful. Yeah. But in psychology, this is where everything hits, like the rubber hits the road. Mm. When it comes to CBT and identifying core beliefs, like the word core beliefs, I think, is a little mismatched. You know, I think maybe the better words, if somebody had found it, maybe it may have been values or something else, you know, something deeper anyways. And this is it. This is the, it's the hardest thing to find, but it when found has the biggest opportunity to shape the way you behave. Yeah. I think 
in in some of the conversations that I've had, what I feel most people struggle with um, when you ask them around their value system, it can be so ingrained that it's second nature to them that they don't even see it, right? So then there has to be some work done to peel away at the layers, right, of that that onion. Like, yeah, I got you. You like honesty. Great. Fabulous. Go another layer. And then you're like, well, why do you like honesty? Why is that such a thing that you're focused on? And then you're like, oh my God, there was this one time this person, and then, and you break it down that way and you get to that little center nugget of the onion. And that's what I think you then start working on to say, this, this is really something I hadn't seen in this way to then move forward. Yeah. It's the work. It's the work. And it makes sense that for our last two episodes, we're going to have to really identify the way the hard work gets into how to change your mind and how to change your body. I mean, I cannot move forward and heal and be my best self without it. Yeah. I've spent decades avoiding it. I've spent more time going to therapy talking about not wanting to do this than doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I have more memories of therapists being like, you know, you have to go through the surgery and that you're going to feel better. And me just looking at them and wanting to ghost my therapist or run away (laughs) or be like, or make them explain to me over and over again why it's worthwhile. Right. Because I've done a really good job of making this work. So like, how can you guarantee? <laughs> I have had, I, I seriously, where you know, when people talk about like this cliche thing, like you had this breakthrough, I've had that occur. And I'm like, damn, yo, how has that been locked in my head and in my body for so long? Yeah. And, and I couldn't have done that without, without support of someone that was like a therapist. Yeah. The willingness. Yeah, but I wasn't ready before. I also knew that I I was not ready to receive that. Yeah. And I think that's where we're going to head. Yeah. I think we have to talk about healing. So maybe this is the beginning of that. We too can heal. Yes. All right, people. We're going to talk to you all next week. Keep following us. Um, And remember, if you have any thoughts about this series, other series that you want us to explore and discuss send us an email to podcast at mhanational.org thank you everyone keep on fighting in the open bye